This is Tina Douglas, and you're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast with your host, my husband, Liam Douglas. Enjoy! Greetings, everybody. You're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Liam Douglas, and this is episode 378 for Thursday, November 24th, 2023. And I want to start out today's episode by saying happy Thanksgiving to my listeners in the United States. I hope you have a safe holiday full of great food and time with family. And if you enjoy it, lots of football. Okay. In today's episode, I want to share some safety tips for wildlife photography, as it is a genre of photography that I personally enjoy, and it can be very rewarding, creative, and also a relaxing activity. Unless, of course, you miss the shot of a lifetime or you succumb to any of the possible risks involved, as there are always risks when shooting wildlife. Although being in the outdoors is good for relieving stress and good for your health as well, the following tips will help make sure you have a good day of shooting and make it back home safely once again. So my first tip is let someone know where you are going. Now, although wildlife photography may be a way for you to escape a world overwhelmed with human interaction with cell phones and laptops and email and social media and all that other garbage, someone should still know where to find you if something goes wrong. It is generally recommended to go out into the wild with at least two people. Kind of a buddy system. Now, that's pretty reasonable, but keep in mind that as the number of people increases, the number of photographic opportunities decreases proportionately. The equation is unforgiving when it comes to situations like that. It's just common sense. The more people in your group, the less chance you're going to see that wildlife that you're looking for. So always let someone know where you will be. If possible, send someone the point on the map where you are. If that's not possible due to lack of signal coverage, do it before you leave civilization. You should also try to download an offline map, if at all possible. Now, this is extremely doable with both Google and Apple Maps. They both have the offline map functionality, as do a variety of other apps. Now, I've found an excellent offline tourist maps from the Czech site, mapby.cz, to be very useful. Now, not me personally. I haven't been to the Czech yet, uh, Republic, but some of my friends have. Now, they are free, cover the whole world, and they're just great, very detailed maps. So, they can come in extremely handy if you're shooting in a foreign country, especially. Now, how do you report your location? If you fall down somewhere, you get hurt, or maybe you get bitten by a snake. First of all, it's a good idea to know the emergency phone numbers for the country that you're in. 
you should have these downloaded ahead of time. Now, sometimes, even if your cell phone shows zero coverage and you are able to access the internet, emergency calls may still go through. And generally, an easy way to know if that's possible is just look at the top of your cell phone. And if you don't have signal bars at the top, but you do have the text SOS, that means you're still allowed to make emergency calls. Now, a satellite phone or personal locator beacon also comes in handy if you have one. These are growing ever cheaper, and some smartphones like the iPhone 14 and 15 Pros have these built in as an option available for emergency SOS calls or text messages. Now, one last piece of advice for unhappy endings. When traveling alone, to some really remote places, I always carry some sort of ID with my name. And if you're going to be in a foreign country, it might be a good idea to include your nationality on it. That won't, you know, use a form of ID that won't decay. Now, I know it sounds morbid, but if something goes fatally wrong, then at least your family will know the truth. So just keep that in mind. And again, I'm not trying to be morbid. I'm just trying to share some safety tips with you for when you're doing wildlife, or you can even apply this to travel photography, which my friend Brett Bergram does quite a bit of. Now, tip number two, have a good map of the terrain. Now, in the age of smartphones, we've almost forgotten that paper maps even exist. If you're on your home turf, a paper map isn't necessary. If you're going into the real wilderness, you'd better have a real map in your backpack. It won't break or run out of batteries. Now, keep in mind that if you're traveling outside of Europe or the United States, good quality, mostly military maps may not be readily available. Instead of spending half a day looking for the only map shop in town, print a map from home beforehand and then laminate it to make it waterproof. Of course, for everyday orientation in the field, a smartphone with offline maps is great. You know exactly where you are at any given moment. Now, this is not only useful for orienting yourself, but also for finding and possibly identifying animals. In the rugged mountain terrain, many species are restricted to narrow elevation ranges. And it is easy to exclude similar species just by looking at the altimeter. Now, a smartwatch is also a good accessory for navigation. I have the Apple Watch Ultra, which I absolutely love for this kind of thing. And they can even be used as an external GPS module to add coordinates to your photos. Now, keep in mind that some models only last a few hours with GPS active. Choose a watch that does not need to be recharged too often. Some models combine a rechargeable battery with solar charging for longer battery life, like some of the Garmin's. And again, my friend Brett Bergram has one that does have solar charging built in. Now, if they have offline maps or waypoint features, which my Apple Watch Ultra does, they can take you from very remote places back to civilization without running out of power. 
Now, if you've left everything I've mentioned above at home or someone has robbed you of everything, all is not lost. Walking down the stream or river will bring you to civilization sooner or later. And it's a good idea to leave some clues for your eventual rescuers. A broken branch, a stone marker, a mark on a tree trunk, a note with your name, an intended direction, things like that can definitely make it easier for search and rescue folks to find you. Tip number three, be prepared for weather changes. Now, this is a universal recommendation for any kind of outdoor trip. Just because the sun is shining and the sky is clear doesn't mean a hailstorm won't hit in a few hours. The weather app and barometer on your watch should be your trusted allies. But still, there's no shortage of surprises when it comes to weather. A good idea is to carry an ultra-light poncho, which won't weigh you down too much, and will protect you and your photo backpack when the heavens decide to open up on you. It can also serve as an impromptu camouflage. Choose colors that allow you to blend in with your surroundings. Olive green, brown, or khaki are the most ideal. Good quality shoes with good soles are essential. The right boots depend on when you're, where you're photographing in the world. For example, leather boots with a Gore-Tex membrane work great if you're further from the equator. In the tropics, however, their usefulness is questionable. High humidity makes it difficult for the membrane to breathe, and leather takes a long time to dry. Now, personally, I've come to prefer my U.S. Army jungle boots, as they combine the comfort of a sneaker with waterproof materials that breathe, and they are fairly lightweight. And when the material does get wet, it dries fairly quickly. Now. Don't forget to protect your camera. It would be a shame to run for shelter when the first drops of rain start to fall. Many of the best photos are taken in extreme weather conditions. And there are many different types of rain covers for camera lens setups. If you don't have one, a plastic bag or garbage bag liner will work in a pinch. Now, let it rain. But what about ex excessive sunlight? That can also be unpleasant, not just for photography, but also for spending the whole day outside. Don't forget plenty of water, sunscreen, and a hat with a visor. And if you want to save weight and bring less water, I recommend a portable water treatment chemical set or a squeeze filter. Of course, this assumes there is water available to treat. Now, personally, I drank chemically treated water for several months while staying in a tent in the tropical Andes. It's not ideal, but overall, it didn't leave any significant marks on me. Fourth tip. Things don't always go according to plan. So you got to expect the unexpected. That's the fourth tip. Bring in the outdoors, or being in the outdoors, excuse me, brings many moments when you have to improvise. Probably the most common is when it gets dark before you get home. 
Now, not surprisingly, the best light for photography and the most animal activity occurs in the early morning and late afternoon hours. So always keep a headlamp in your backpack. It will let you keep both hands free while illuminating your path home. Not to mention that after sunset, a headlamp is good for finding animals that nature has endowed with a reflective layer on the retina of their eyes, basically animals that have night vision. Now, a good quality knife is an absolute must as well. It uses, its uses are so extensive that an entire article or even a movie could be devoted to just having a good knife. And I personally believe in carrying one at all times, especially when you're out in the field. Now, if you don't believe me, watch 127 hours. In some parts of the world, a machete comes in handy. But be aware, it's not legal everywhere to carry one, so keep that in mind. Also. A first aid kit could be a chapter in itself. If you're going on a one-day photo shoot, the contents will be different than if you're going on a multi-week trip to an exotic destination. Keep the essentials in your backpack to help you deal with any acute problem. It's a good idea to bring plasters, a bandage, or a tourniquet if you're working with a machete. If you're allergic to insect bites, don't forget the anti-shock pack. And if you have allergies, bring your EpiPen. To make sure you can concentrate on getting the shot and not on fighting off insects, stock your first aid kit with an effective insect repellent with a high concentration of DEET or Picaridin. Some tropical areas are home to leeches. Now, although they do not transmit diseases, they are extremely unpleasant. Trust me, I know. I've been in plenty of bodies of water when I was in the Army that you pick up leeches, and they're not fun to deal with. Gators that cover your boots and calves can be particular, uh, can partially eliminate the problem from leeches, but just be wary of all of these conditions. And on the subject of leeches and bodies of water, also keep in mind the possibility of water snakes. I remember years ago when I was in the Army and I was down at Fort Benning, Georgia, and we had to cross this swamp as part of our training, field training. And I got about halfway across this mucky, nasty body of water. And I was in this water up to just about my chin. And out of the corner of my eye, I saw a water moccasin drop into the water from a nearby tree. And I'll tell you what, I couldn't get out of that water fast enough. <laughs> so keep those kind of things in mind as well. All right. Now, I want to take a break right here and talk about something that has been a struggle for myself personally. And I know many of you out there listening as well. And that is being able to stay focused and energized throughout your entire day. Now, I'm 53 years old, and as of this month, and for the last couple of years, I've been really struggling with focus and energy during my work days. Now, I've always been an avid coffee drinker, which was fine when I was 18 and working long days in the Army or later on in life in factories. 
But as I got older, it seemed to take more and more coffee to get me through the day. And now, even a crazy amount of coffee would barely get me by. That's when I found today's sponsor, Magic Mind. Magic Mind is an all-natural drink that allows you to obtain and maintain focus and energy without feeling jittery like those other energy drinks do. Magic Mind contains natural ingredients such as matcha, which is nature's extended-release caffeine that takes long to release and helps to reduce your stress levels at the same time. Now, Magic Mind also contains Rhodiola rosea, an herbal breakthrough of the 21st century. Multiple books written in the last 100 years on its effects on mental clarity. It reduces fatigue and anxiety, increases your body's resistance to stress, improves physical and mental endurance, and enhances mental clarity. All of these are good things. And these are just two of the key ingredients that you can read about all the others on their website. Now, my personal experience is I didn't have to give up my beloved coffee, but I no longer need as much coffee because Magic Mind is an excellent replacement that doesn't have the negative health effects. Now, the last couple of months, I've been having occasional issues with my resting heart rate jumping to as high as 150 beats per minute, according to my Apple Watch Ultra. And after talking to my primary care doctor, I realized I was giving myself caffeine overdose, which can be very dangerous to your health. Now, I've been on Magic Mind for a week now, and I have been able to reduce my daily coffee intake from 6 to 10 cups per day down to around 2 or 3 plus my Magic Mind. Now, this daily routine has helped to give me good energy without crashing or feeling amped, and best of all, no more high resting heart rate, which is good for my overall health, and I can stay focused all day for my work in IT. Now listen, I know I'm not the only one out there that can benefit from this wonderful product. This product is perfect for the business professional, the stay-at-home mom, the retiree who likes to go out for walks or work in their garden, Pretty much anyone out there can benefit from Magic Mind. Joe Rogan has talked about Magic Mind on his podcast, and he has the biggest podcast on the planet. And I have a lot of personal respect for Joe as someone who doesn't just promote things for a paycheck. He prefers to only endorse and talk about products that he personally uses and enjoys. So if you'd like to be more focused, have more energy, less stress, throughout your entire day, head on over to my link in the show notes, which is www.magicmind.com forward slash P-H-O-T-O-G-R-A-P-H-Y and use my personal discount code of photography20, P-H-O-T-O-G-R-A-P-H-Y-20 number 20, and get up to 56% off your subscription for the next 10 days with my exclusive discount code. And I want to thank the good folks at Magic Mind for sponsoring today's episode. All right, now let's get back to 
are safety tips for wildlife and travel photography. Number five, respect local laws and regulations. It would be a mistake to judge conditions in another country by what you are used to in your home country. First, make sure your equipment is not subject to any special regulations. In some countries, just having binoculars can be problematic. If you want to take photos with a drone, check the rules for its use in that country. They tend to get stricter every year. Now, also pay attention to the extent to which you can move around independently in the wilderness. Some places are only accessible with a local guide. Elsewhere, you may need permission from the landowner. Be especially careful when taking photographs near military facilities. In some countries, there may even be a problem with, quote, forgotten anti-personnel mines from recent conflicts. Unless you did good research beforehand or you were lucky enough to be warned by locals, you would have no way of knowing about these dangers. To summarize, if you're traveling alone, listen to the locals and take an active interest in local regulations. Tip number six. People are mostly nice, but there are exceptions. Now, the cost of wildlife photographers' equipment sometimes exceeds the value of a car. At the same time, it is relatively easy to grab such equipment and disappear in dark streets. As tempting as it can be, there are some places where it's just not a good idea to pull out a camera with a big telephoto lens because that's like painting a target on yourself. Some cities in South America and Africa are definitely among these places. Don't show off your expensive gear. Only take your gear out of your backpack when it's safe to do so. Just be aware of your surroundings. Be cognizant of what's going on around you. Now, in most parts of the world, the danger from people decreases with distance from major cities. But that is not always the case. Colombia's civil war is thankfully a thing of the past, but violence hasn't completely disappeared from the local mountains and forests. Always be aware of the current situation in the area where you're going to be. If, despite your best efforts, you are attacked, don't fight for your equipment. Not even an 800mm f5.6 lens is worth more than your health or your life. Your equipment is one thing, but the photos you've taken are another. That's why in preparation for a robbery or lost equipment, it's a good idea to back up all your photos in two places. Never put all your eggs in one basket, as they say. The best thing to do is to keep one SSD in your photo backpack and the other with the same photos in your hotel room. Or if you're staying with friends or family or whatever. Now, if you're a frequent traveler, consider insuring your gear. I always recommend you insure your gear, period, just in case. Now, standard travel insurance likely won't cover the loss of expensive camera equipment. However, there are insurance policies specifically designed for photographers. I personally use Hiscox for my equipment and my photography business insurance. So that's one option. And they're not a sponsor of the show. I'm just sharing. 
All right, tip number seven. Animals are mostly harmless, but there are exceptions. If there is ever any unpleasantness from animals, the blame is almost always on the side of us humans. Freak events can occur, but 99% of dangerous animal encounters are preventable. Now, looking back, my only truly dangerous interaction with animals have been with dogs. Uh, I once fought off an attack by two or three dogs at a time, so it can get kind of crazy with dogs at times. Um, I had a, a club of sorts in my hand. I was swinging it around, and I also had um, pepper spray. Um, so those can be hard moments, but, you know, things happen. Um, now, street dogs usually know what a rock means in the hands of a human. So often just pretending to pick up a stone from the ground works and will spook them off, but not always. If all else fails and a bite occurs, and this is true for most any mammal, always assume that the animal is rabid. If you catch rabies and do nothing about it, then you have the you have the only certainty in this world, and that's death. Again, not to be morbid, I'm just being realistic with you. Now, fortunately, post-bite rabies vaccines tend to be relatively available, even in countries from whose healthcare you shouldn't have high expectations. Now, another real threat is contact with common ectoparasites such as ticks, mosquitoes, or other diptera such as the tsetse fly and the like. The bites themselves fall into the category of annoyances. Much worse are the diseases that these anthropods carry, namely encephalitis, malaria, and so on and so forth, yellow fever, and a number of others. Now, Find out which of these diseases you are at risk for in your destination and make sure you have the proper um, shots ahead of time and so on and so forth. Insect repellent, long sleeves and pants and mosquito nets will also help you to prevent that kind of stuff. Now, venomous snakes can be a threat in some parts of the world. India in particular is notorious for this. But most deaths are caused by a combination of bare feet and darkness. If you could eliminate these factors, you should avoid snake bites. After all, any reasonable snake would prefer to avoid you, although there are exceptions, you know, certain species of snakes that are just plain aggressive. In areas where arboreal poisonous snakes occur, you better stay on the trails. Now, in general, there are virtually no animals today for which humans are a natural food source. Now, that doesn't mean that some animals don't occasionally feast on humans. The biggest example is crocodiles. Where Nile crocodiles, saltwater crocodiles, or even alligators are present, it is a good idea to give up the habit of photographing aquatic birds directly from the water's surface. Most animals do not see humans as food, but as a threat. The typical resolution to an encounter is that they will run away. Some, however, will counterattack, and it's not just carnivores that do so. I am more worried in general about herbivores like bison and hippos and deer. Don't be fooled by the peaceful appearance of the elk in the parking lot of Yellowstone. 
the transition from peacefully grazing animal to attacking machine can be surprisingly quick. Just keep that in mind. Uh, it reminds me uh, back when I used to drive tractor trailer years ago. Anytime I was in the New England states, you would see these signs along the highways all the time warning you not to blow your horn at, moo at a moose. If you saw a moose, don't blow your horn at them. And I was at a truck stop one time. I think I was in Connecticut or, or someplace like that. And this driver pulled in and the whole side of his truck was all smashed up. The fuel tank, everything. And he pulled up to the fuel pumps next to me and got out of his truck. And I looked to him and I looked at his truck and I said, let me guess, you blew your horn at a moose, didn't you? And he said, yep. <laughs> he said, take those signs seriously. I'm like, I already know that. But when I saw the damage to your truck, I said, yep, he blew his air horn at a moose. And the moose took it as a personal challenge. Yeah, so keep those kind of things in mind. Now, whatever animal you photograph, think not only of your own safety, but also the safety of the animal itself. A good idea is to study animal behavior and ask local guides, park rangers, or zoologists. Remember that no photo is worth risking the health or life of any creature involved, either the one in front of the camera or you, the animal behind the camera. Remember to check out the Liam Photography Podcast Facebook group. It is a private group, and you must answer a security question to join, which is the name of the host of the show, myself, Liam. And I've also opened it up to allow you to give the name of a previous guest on the show to show that you are a listener. Once you're in the group, you are free to post your own original work. I'm also the admin of the Fujifilm GFX 50R group, which is the largest group for the 50R on Facebook. If you own or plan to own the 50R, you can request to join that group, but you do have to answer two security questions to join that group. You can find my work at liamphotography.net and follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at liamphotoatl. If you like abandoned buildings and history, you can find my projects at forgottenpiecesofgeorgia.com and forgottenpiecesofpennsylvania.com. All right, folks, that's going to wrap up episode 378 of the Liam Photography Podcast. I want to thank all of my listeners once again for subscribing, rating, and reviewing with Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you might be getting your podcasts. Also wanted to remind you to stop by the Liam Photography YouTube channel, subscribe to the channel, Turn on all notifications so you don't miss any of my new content as it releases. Also, make sure you get your entry in for my latest contest where I'm giving away a shift cam uh, pro battery grip for your smartphone. You get your entry in for that. That contest is ending next week on the 30th of November. And uh, I'll be announcing the winner if we have entries by then. Uh, also, remember to stop by magicmind.com slash photography and use my code photography20 to get up to 56% off your subscription for the next 10 days with that code. And I want to thank the good folks at Magic Mind for sponsoring today's episode. I want to thank them once again. All right, that's going to wrap up this episode. I will see you all again next Thursday.
Thank you.